love the smell of used books in the morning. is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for trying them out for one month. This is episode, I don't know what episode number it is. I keep, I lose track. This is The Book Guys Show. My name is Paul Alves. Joined as always by an awesome, the best book panel on the planet Starting with Father Robert Balasur, the digital Jesuit himself. How you doing, Padre? Just fine here in getting slightly colder Washington, D.C. It is getting slightly colder everywhere, I think. That's that global warming. Well, we had a, we had a weird day. Uh, was it two days ago where we hit like the high 70s? Nice. Right after a day where we were down in the 40s. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know. It's all out of control. And also out of control, as always... Professor Allen, how you doing, sir? Very good. I actually had a, I had a, uh, had a great week uh, in the classroom so far. In uh, in two different classes, I was able to spend about thirty minutes each talking Star Wars. Nice. <laughs> I mean, ostensibly it was about you know mergers and acquisitions and corporate synergy, but really, it was just an opportunity <laughs> to talk about Star Wars. It was awesome. Brilliant. Disney taking over the world, my friend. Exactly. One property at a time. And I was promised, I uh, promised, uh, Sir Jimmy, you can't make it today. He's on the beach at some sort of award ceremony. Uh, that's all I know. Uh, apparently, I'm told that if, you know, if I knew, he'd have to kill me. But he did tell me to give a big and hearty in the morning for our guest today, author Scott McKenzie. How you doing, Scott? Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me back on the show. Oh, love to have you on, sir. So uh, we're, we're going to start, as always, Scott, uh, just finding out what everybody's reading, what's on the Kindles, what's on the nightstands, uh, what side of which cereal box they're reading. And uh, let's go back in order. Padre, anything new? Uh, I'm finishing off uh, a few audiobooks that I had started up. I've got uh, Tubes, A Journey to the Center of the Internet. I started that a while back. It's sort of a nostalgic look at how fast technology has moved. Um, and how well, there, there's one author's journey from thinking about the Internet in very abstract terms to thinking about, well, it's actually switches and routers in local locations around your city. Uh, it, it's actually it's, it's a nice technical book for non-techies. That's uh, hmm. Tubes, A Journey to the Center of the Internet on, on Audible, and uh, I, it's a good read. Okay, do you want to talk nice about a little bit about- more about that later on? Because we'll, uh, that does sound oh, very, very yeah. interesting. And it's not a truck. It's not a truck. It's it's not it's it's a series of tubes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that sounds like fun, Professor Allen. And that's what that, you know what that's what Father Robert does best on Twilight is he really connects with those of us who aren't spending eight hours a day you know maintaining server farms. He really does bring Thank it God. down to our level, <laughs> <laughs> Professor Allen. I, I know you were holding something up there in the in the in the screen there in the video screen. What, what was that? 
Well, you know, I was doing my uh, I was doing my my due diligence for the show, and tracking down uh, our next book in the Ender Verse, uh, Speaker for the Dead from the uh, from the library, and I happened upon a series of graphic novels that I did not know existed. Ooh. So I've got the uh, uh, Ender's Game ten issue uh, collection. The uh, Or, or as adaptation. we call them, the, the, the adaptation of that. They've we got. Call it the cheat I don't have it yet the... in my hot little hands, but there's an Ender's Shadow one as well, and then even some prequels. There's Ooh. a there's a Formic War, you know, the first the first Bugger War. Um, so going sort of going off script, coming up with a new adventure, uh, also in in uh, living three in living uh, uh, living color. Nice, nice. I was just I was just saying that those are the cheat sheets for the the guys doing the movie. Exactly. You know, comic book is a uh, pre-made yeah, storyboard. Got your storyboards right there. A classic example would be the first Spider-Man film. That is almost taken, I mean, shot for shot from the original comic book. Well, it's, if, if, I mean, I think, the, yeah, Watchmen, it's hard to, <laughs> it's yeah. hard to see that movie as anything other than. The uh, certainly visual style is exactly and uh, some s- scenes. Exactly. Scott McKenzie, anything uh, on your nightstand? Yeah, well, we recently moved house, so Book Mountain is boxed up somewhere um, <laughs> under a big pile of boxes. So um, on the Kindle at the moment, I'm reading the Twelve by Justin Cronin. Don't know if any of you guys read um, the passage, first part of the Vampire Epic that came out a couple of years ago. I've been. And no. looking forward to part two, and that just came out a couple of weeks ago. So, gradually making my way through that on Kindle. I've had the um, micro by uh, Michael Crichton on my um, iPod all year, and I finally just got around to giving it a go. And um, so it didn't have great reviews, but um, enjoying it so far. It's a bit odd because it's kind of like Land of the Giants, Honey I Shrunk the Kids type thing, but right. for adults. And just can't help thinking of things like Land of the Giants, the incredible shrinking man effect when you're reading about tiny little people running around the jungle. Now, now you said on your iPod, are you uh, reading it on your iPod or are you uh, listening to it? Ah, no, well, we're getting the audible plug in early here. No, that's audiobook. <laughs> okay, <laughs> brilliant. But I've also got um, Ender's Game lined up. I feel left out every time I listen to the book, guys. Um, I think if it was a drinking game for the book guys, then this game would be finish your drinks for any mention. So, <laughs> or any time um, I, I say brilliant. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't have a, a Christmas jingle. I should have a Christmas jingle, but uh, let's do this one. Fiction. 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 So, uh, Scott, I was taking a look at it. I was looking at it on my Kindle here. Brilliant. Love it. Krampus, a Christmas tale, now in color. <laughs> you know, uh, came out. You, you put it out full color, all the way through. Brilliant. You know, um, one of the things about the the Krampus story, no one had anything bad to say about it, but except that, oh, I wish it was in color. <laughs> Especially kids, right? Kids want to see it in color, right? Yeah. So I tell us a little um, bit about how that came about. Something out there last year. So tell us how that came about with uh, Phil Ives. Yeah, well, I, I had an idea going around in my mind as soon as I 
found out about the character of Krampus and the idea that Santa Claus gives good children um, nice presents and there's another horrible monster that gives bad children horrible presents. Um, and then um, I started a new job. One of the guys I was working with um, got talking to, found out, did a bit of writing. And so he said, oh, my brother's an artist, showed me some of the art he did and I was just totally blown away. I thought, right, this is um, the type of guy who could um, do a story about Krampus justice. So I did all the easy work, just uh, write a silly little rhyme. And then um, he did all the great hard work about doing this amazing art. Um, so I, get, I get to say how great it looks because I didn't draw the pictures. I just write the rhyme. Um, so we put it together just in time for Christmas last year. Um, last year's version was kind of version 0.1. And um, we had the idea of getting a color version out for this Christmas, um, which we did. Um, and last year, you, Paul, and Maya, and Jeff Smith did a pretty awesome audio version. I think Je- I, Jeff did some wonderful music to that. I mean, he I literally sent him a mishmash of audio, and he, you know, just sat there and, and played multiple instruments. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible to think something I just, you know, knocked together on a notepad then um, ends up being a, something for sale in the iTunes store. Thanks to you and everyone else who works on it. I'm oh, hoping there's going to be a new audio version of the color. No, wait. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's still there on iTunes. You can search for Krampus, A Christmas Tale by Sir Scott McKenzie. You'll find it. And uh, I believe, uh, do we have permission, Scott, to play it at some time during the show today? Oh, of course, Paul. And then, uh, folks, if you want to get that standalone audio book that you can enjoy with your children or by yourself, um, you can always go to iTunes, search for Krampus Christmas Tale. We'll play it at the break in the midway or something like that. Um, by the way, I, I just want to put in my two cents here and say uh, the, the monster that gives bad presents, uh, that sounds like an incredibly awesome job. <laughs> you could get so imaginative there. Oh. He's got to well, be pretty got, busy, um, though. <laughs> I wrote it for my two-year-old daughter um, while she just turned two. And, um, you know, she's getting really excited about Christmas this year, but it's just getting easy now to tell her to be a good girl because then she'll get good presents because I've got a picture <laughs> of the monster that's going to come and give her bad presents if she's a naughty girl. <laughs> I'm just surprised that you were able to get my sister to sign a release. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, no. That sounds like something she would have pulled. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's neat because, uh, I mean... A monster that gives bad presents. Love it. And, you know, kids love monsters. You know, like, I think one of them, Maya, the, the, the little girl who did the, uh, the audio for the, the, uh, the audio version, uh, you know, she loves plants versus zombies. The zombies. You know, she'll chase me around the house saying, brains. You know, kids love the whole monster thing. I mean, look at Sesame Street. It's like 90% monsters. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah but, what, one of um, my wife's favorite books when she was a kid, and um, they it is called The Taylor Poe, and it's essentially a story about um, an old man who lives in the woods, um, catches an animal, cuts off his tail, and eats it, and the monster, or the little animal, comes back and um, kills him to get it back. So, And that's a story we read to our, to our daughter. Nice. Uh, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> can't, can't, I can't think of anything worse than that. <laughs> that's what I call parenting. 
Now, Scott, you're also the author, of course, of One Day in Gitmo Nation. Are we looking at a sequel for that oh, one? Yes. Um, well, what I'm working on at the moment is um, I've um, actually signed a deal with a company called Grit City Publications. Oh, congrats. Um, and they are producers of um, their own type of ebooks called Emoto Books. Um, and they work by putting um, pieces of abstract art at key emotional points in stories to kind of heighten the emotional feel of the story you're reading. Um, and so I'm editing or working on a re edit of One Day and Get More Nation publication as a Emoto book serial. Um, Interesting. So that'll be one chapter released a month, some point in the new year. Um, and it's, yeah, the editor I'm working with, um, Rebecca Hoffman, is incredible. It just goes to prove, really, if you think you've got a story finished, it's not, you're just, you're just done for the moment. Um, things she's finding, uh, yeah, really, really good stuff. I think it's going to be a much better story this time around. I would love to see a sequel to Krampus because, you know, Maya's, uh, you know, a year and some odd older now and it won't take her 600 takes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we could probably do it all in one take now. We won't have to take cookie and milk breaks every half hour. Uh, I don't know. Well, I think I adults know. tend to be more self-conscious. They, uh, you know, they're, they freak out if they think they're not doing well. <laughs> Whereas kids just do it. This is true. <laughs> The funny thing is... I might fall into that trap of rewriting the same story over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing with her was, it was funny because uh, I would get a recording from her parents. They would they would coax her through it, right? <laughs> you could tell when they were getting kind of a little, little annoyed with her. It was like, Maya, say it like this. But then she would hit it spot on, but using the inflection that they had just given. So it'd be like, you know, she would say the line in an annoyed tone. <laughs> <laughs> so the poor girl got it spot on just the way he said it but <laughs> hey, that's what they asked for that's right oh, I'll tell you what I mean Maya did such a good job though. I mean when you listen back to it it's like you know an IBM supercomputer designed the cutest voice you could possibly <laughs> imagine she is a cutie though she is a cutie <laughs> Krampus A Christmas Tale and I, I tell you I, I'm going to put a couple on order for myself I'm going to buy one for Maya one for myself um, love the story love the art I think uh, the first time I saw, I think I, I asked you to put the, uh, to make the, ask Phil to do the, the cover in, in color for the album art. Yeah, he did that for the, for the audio book, yeah. Yeah, because I think, you know, a you know color cover, you know, sells more, right, on iTunes. But um, yeah, brilliant. Love the art. He's awesome. Well, I've got um, one more Christmas story on the way as well. It's, oh, um, can we get some uh, exclusive uh, information here on Book Guys show? Yep, um, I'm Breaking. trying to get it for the Kindle version ready for download uh, Thanksgiving. It's um, called A Gitmo Nation Christmas Carol. <laughs> it's um, oh, no. the story of President Scrooge and reaching the end of his tenure in the White House, um, <laughs> where he's about to retire and enjoy the fruits of his economic policies, where he's visited by the ghost of ex-Vice President Jacob Marley, who died in mysterious circumstances. <laughs> and, of course, the ghosts of Christmas, um, who, of course, show him the error of his ways. Um, and our um, friend, Rhino the Bearded, is recording the audio book, which he's trying to get ready for um, uh, 
Thanksgiving to play in the No Agenda stream. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, can, do, the, do the Christmas ghosts look anything like John and Adam? <laughs> I, mean, I missed the trick. <laughs> well, well, I've just got two words for you then. Predator drone. <laughs> and if you like Predator drones, you're going to like Daniel Suarez because he loves them in his books. <laughs> yeah, but that, see, there's another one for the drinking game, Demon. I've read that, but not Freedom yet. Yeah, I'm looking at starting Ready Player One soon. As soon as I heard it was uh, narrated by Will Wheaton, I'm in. Yes, please, please read Ready Player One. It's it's become the anthem for the geeks of the '80s. <laughs> That's me, Commodore sixty four in the house. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, Will Wheaton audiobook got me through painting our new house before we moved in. That's all I listened to all that week. <laughs> Brilliant. So you know what, guys? We're going to take a quick break and smoke them if you got them. We're going to do the entire uh, audiobook. Why not? Christmas is coming up. And folks, if you, if you enjoy it, uh, pick it up on iTunes. Krampus, A Christmas Tale, Now in Color, Lulu.com. And Scott, what's your website where people can get the book? Star.fiction.com. We'll point you in the right direction for whatever format you look, you're looking for. Brilliant, and we'll return in about five minutes, folks. Uncle Paul, can you read me a story about Christmas? I sure can. I've got a lot of books here. Can you read me a story about Santa Claus? There's a lot of stories with Santa. Do you want me to pick one of these and read it to you, sweetie? And a scary monster, too. I like stories with monsters. Well, I do have one here, Maya, but it might be a little bit scary. I love monsters because I'm not scared of them. All right, then. Let's go sit by the Christmas tree, and I'll tell you the story of Krampus, A Christmas Tale, written by Scott McKenzie, narrated by Paul Alves, with original music by Jeff Smith. I'm going to tell you a Christmas tale with a man who gives books and toys. But this one's a little different. It's been known to scare some girls and boys. We all know Santa Claus is real, but that's only half the story. If you're squeamish, don't go any further. From this point, it gets a bit gory. Santa Claus is the jolly man we know so well. He brings presents and spreads Christmas cheer. But did you know he has a friend called Krampus, who all little children should fear? With long pointed horns and pitch black eyes and sharp broken teeth, please believe, he ventures out with Santa each year at midnight on Christmas Eve. Santa has the easiest task. Good children receive dolls and games. But naughty children get a present from Krampus, a dead mouse, or a bag of sheep's brains. Santa and Krampus compare notes all year long. They know who's winning and losing. Good children get a present from Santa's sack, but every present from Krampus is oozing. A few years ago, they couldn't decide whether one girl had been naughty or nice. Should they leave a rocking horse under the tree or a dog's head infested with lice? The little girl's name was Evelyn. Everyone called her Evie for short, 
She was the best-behaved little girl in the world. At least that's what her parents thought. Let's go back a few hours. We find a little girl putting decorations onto the tree. What's in all these presents? She wonders, and without thinking, she just has to see. She tears open the presents, and her father appears with a mince pie and a glass of eggnog. He shouts, "Oh my! What's going on here?" So she blames it all on the dog. Now back to that night when Santa and Krampus were standing at the end of her bed. Who would give her a present? Was she naughty or nice? They both shrugged and scratched their head. Santa looked at his list and read aloud. Since last year, she's been good once a day. Krampus snarled. Just the same. Then looked at the clock. But it doesn't include what she's been up to today. It was quarter past midnight, and she'd just gone to sleep. She'd been sneaking around out of bed. Ha ha! Krampus growled. She's done something bad. But Santa knew she'd been a good girl instead. Ha ha ha! Krampus stopped laughing and realized he'd lost. He couldn't win after all. He's the baddie. Evie had put lots of presents under the tree with a card that read, "I love you, mommy and daddy." Santa is real, but so is Krampus. You must believe me; it's true. So if you don't want a present from Krampus this year, I'll tell you what you must do. Before Christmas comes round once again, if you want Santa to think you're nice, make sure for everything you do that's bad, you do us something good. Not once. Again, Maya. Again, again, again. Okay, okay. I'll read to you again. But、uh, first, we have to say goodbye to all the nice people listening at home. I don't see any people. Well, you can't see them, but they're listening to us right now. Bye, invisible people. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. You've been listening to Krampus, a Christmas tale, written by Scott McKenzie, narrated by Paul Alves. And Maya Santos. M A J A Santos. With original music by Jeff Smith. Performance copyright 2011. Merry Christmas. Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to the Book Guys. And there it is. <laughs> We are back. I am unmuting all our hosts now.、Had、a little audio hiccup there. The boys couldn't hear the first minute of that, but <laughs> you get the gist of it. And if we don't get a podcast award nomination now, there's no justice. No kidding. No kidding. We should go for it next year. I think we have to throw money at the guy who runs the awards, and then you win. I think、Isn't、that's that how, how it works. Work? Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll go hard next year for a nomination. We'll have to call out the troops to. to be honest, all I'm shooting for is to be the second best podcast in the universe. That's right. <laughs> so we will move on, gentlemen.、Uh, let's、uh, go on. And did you guys pick up? You got your copies of Bitter Brew. I got mine. That's、I、what、do. I've been reading. The Rise and Fall of Anheuser Busch and America's Kings of Beer. About a third of the way through, there's a lot of.、Uh, 
things going on there. And uh, I didn't know that <laughs> Budweiser basically survived by selling pop that you could easily make into beer during Prohibition. <laughs> Genius. You got it. Got to do what you got to do. Genius. You know, not only do they, you know, utilize all their grain businesses and whatnot, all the offshoot businesses from the whole, you know, they, they manufactured all the machines and whatnot. So they got into that. But selling pop that you could make into beer in your basement. Brilliant. <laughs> Just saying. Mm-mm, good. So, Padre, you were talking about a wonderful book about the internet webs and how it's not a truck. Right. Yeah. So I uh, I picked up this book not too long ago, um, A Journey to the Center of the Internet. And uh, it was it was uh, the, the author was being profiled on NPR. And I typically don't like these kinds of books because they, they, they tend to simplify oversimplify something that is you know, pr- pretty much my career. But it was it was engaging. It was engrossing. Uh, he spends the first. Ten minutes of uh, of the audiobook is it's it's narrated by the uh, by the author, speaking about um, how map makers became obsolete with the, uh, the the advent of satellites, and how there was this building in Milwaukee that used to be a big map making house, but it had become the the hub and the spoke for internet access within that city, hmm. uh, and, and it gave him a visceral experience when he could actually see and touch the equipment that his email went through and that his web requests went through. And it got him to thinking, well, how does the internet work around the world? How does every city have a, a building like this or something that's been converted from a, a previous generation of communications technology? And then he describes these ships that go across the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean just going back and forth, dropping spools of fiber optic cables that will link the continents. And so, it's it's an interesting book because it's 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 a fun read for people who just want a well written book. It's technical enough that people who want to have a better understanding of the internet will be able to get something out of it. And um, it's geeky enough that someone like me can read it and and have little chuckles when I start realizing, oh yeah, you know, this this thing in my life that I take for granted, this explanation that I take for granted, it it must seem like magic. To people who who have never set up a network, so right. it would, I found it being just an enjoyable read. One of the things that blows most people's minds is when you tell them that uh, you know there's these huge cables under the ocean <laughs> linking you know the internet across the world. Like most people think it just happens wirelessly right. by magic, you know, magical satellites. But I, I, I figure that maybe three or four well placed nukes under the water, and half the world is, doesn't have internet. Oh, you don't even need a nuke. Uh, that, that's why the <laughs> the actual path of the cables is a, it's a very closely guarded secret. The reason why these ships are going back and forth all the time is because these cables are always getting cut. You may remember there was an earthquake, an under underwater earthquake, off the coast uh, of of the Middle East not too long ago, and it it destroyed internet service for much of Africa. Right, uh, and that's because that that little shift in the plates was enough to sever the cables. And and going down to fix the cables, I mean, you, you got to imagine these things are it's a mile down, a mile and a half down. So you have these these ships that are trolling the the ocean floor with with hooks. It's, they're basically playing a, a big game of uh, of that the the crane game. Right. And they'll they'll snag one end, and they'll uh, then they'll snag the other end, and they bring them up, 
and they have to re-splice it, which is an incredibly expensive and painstaking process, and then drop it back down. And so this, this infrastructure that we take for granted, that I can call up a website in the UK or I can Skype with someone in China, it can be shattered by a boat anchor, someone, someone, right. uh, a captain dropping his anchor and dragging up a cable, or by an earthquake or an underwater. How, how thick are these cables, Padre? I mean, do, do you know how? Yeah, uh, it depends. So, the the ones that they're laying down, they they look like garden hose pipe. Uh, they're not that thick, right? Then there's huge huge spools, but then there's the thicker stuff, which is like it's armored and it has repeater and it's it's like the thickness of a of a big soda can or a beer bottle. Right. Um, so you don't so need a nuke. Depends. You need like a, a special ops guy with an axe. You need a knife. That's what you need. <laughs> right. You could you can destroy the internet with a knife and a, a bad weekend. <laughs> you can destroy most things with a knife and a bad weekend. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I remember uh, I'm trying to track down the uh, the name of the book and I can't. But I I read a book about the laying of the telegraph wire and you know the the uh, all of the things they had to go through, like you're saying, to uh, get down to the bottom of the ocean and keep it protected, and just how logistically do you get that many thousands of miles of wire first mm-hmm. off onto a ship? How do you cart it to the middle of the ocean? How far? You know, a lot of logistics of it. Very interesting book, of which I cannot figure out the name. Yeah, um, I. My podcast, I, I have a co-host by the name of Brian Chi, who has actually been on these ships before. And um, it's a secretive community because there are not that many ships that do this. There, there's really only, I think there's three or four in operation at any given time. And so their, their presence is absolutely necessary, but at the same time, the telecommunication companies would prefer that you not know about them. <laughs> right. So I'm looking at the reviews here, uh, Padre, on Audible, and it seems to go from you know uh, top to bottom, five to one star. Now, what kind of person would would enjoy a book like this? I'm already intrigued to find out more about how it works. And and you know what? It's a quick uh, listen. So it's just over seven hours. Right. Uh, so if if you like prosaic writing about inherently boring things, you'll like the book. Okay. If you if you have a little bit of technical knowledge about the internet and you're interested in all about how it, it's actually how it works, you'll like the book. Um, if you're a hardcore geek and you just want a light read, you'll like the book. But I mean, if you have absolutely no interest whatsoever in how technical things work and how technology spreads from place to place in the world, this book is definitely not for you. Now we'll play a little clip, but uh, how does the the narrator? How does the author do as a narrator? Um, you can you can tell he's it's his first time, but he's he's passionate about his material. That also comes through in his voice. True, true. You know, I just find that most times, you know, when, when an author asks, "Should I should I paint my own uh, novel cover?" I'll usually say, just by default, no. You know, right. <laughs> like <laughs> Scott, you did a good job. You got Phil Ives to do all the art for Krampus. I'm sure it would have came out a lot better than if you did it yourself. <laughs> right, right. Oh my God, it would have sucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I agree with um, the author reading their own book. I think that always, if, if they're passionate and they enjoy reading it, writing it, then that always comes through. The passion comes reading. through. I mean, like even when uh, Stephen King uh, narrated uh, mm-hmm. one of the, he narrated one of the Dark Tower 
novels. Uh, he certainly was no George Goodall, but uh, the, his passion overcame everything. You know, it helped that uh, went through the keyhole was told mostly from you know through the eyes of a prepubescent young boy because that's that's what Stephen King sounds like all the time, right? <laughs> but let's take a quick listen. It's called Tubes: A Journey to the Center of the Internet. I've already put it on my to listen list. And let's take a listen to Andrew. Is it Blum or Bloom? Andrew Blum. We'll call uh, I've been it. pronouncing it Bloom. All right, Andrew Bloom. Here we go. On the January day, I arrived in Milwaukee. It was so cold that the streets themselves had blanched white. The city was born in 1846 out of three competing settlements at the edge of a broad harbor on the western shore of Lake Michigan. Four years after its founding, the Milwaukee and Waukesha Railroad linked the lake with the hinterland and the rich wheat fields of the Midwest with the growing populations of the East. Before long, Milwaukeeans weren't only moving materials, but processing them, making beer from hops, leather from cows, and flour from wheat. With the growing success of this industry and the help of an influx of German immigrants, those first processing plants encouraged the growth of a broad range of precision manufacturing. The heart of the activity was the Menominee Valley, a miasmic swamp that was steadily filled in to accommodate what was soon a coal-choked industrial powerhouse. Industrially, Milwaukee is known across the face of the earth, the 1941 WPA Guide to Wisconsin rhapsodized. Out of the city's vast machine shops come products that range from turbines weighing 1,200,000 pounds to parts so minute as to be assembled only with the aid of magnifying glasses. Milwaukee steam shovels dug the Panama Canal, Milwaukee turbines harnessed Niagara Falls. Milwaukee tractors are in the fields of most of the world's agricultural regions. Herringbone gears made in Milwaukee operate mines in Africa and Mexico, sugar mills in South America, and rolling mills in Japan, India, and Australia. Milwaukee had become the center of a far-reaching industrial colossus, known everywhere as the machine shop of the world. It didn't last forever. After World War II, the fixed steel lines of the railroads gave way to the more flexible movement of rubber tires over new roads. The hard networks became softer, and the Menominee Valley started a steady decline, paralleling that of the nation's manufacturing more broadly. The United States became a country that produced ideas more than things. The machine shop of the world became the buckle of the Rust Belt. Milwaukee's factories were left abandoned, and then, only more recently, turned into condominiums. But Milwaukee's industry didn't disappear entirely. It quietly holds on today, having moved out of the city and into the suburbs, like so much of American urban life. Early one morning, I followed its path, driving from a downtown hotel on a deserted street to a new industrial neighborhood in the northwest corner of the city. I passed a McDonald's, a Denny's, an Olive Garden, and an IHOP, then took a left at a Honda dealer, High-tension power lines loomed overhead, and I bumped across a railroad spur that led the dozen miles back to the Menominee Valley. Along a series of smooth, wide suburban streets was a concentration of industry that would have made William Harley and Arthur Davidson proud. In one building, they made beer cans, another ball bearings. There were factories for car keys, airplane parts, structural steel, resistors, carbon brushes, mascot costumes, and industrial signs that said things like wheel chocks required for loading and unloading. My destination was the tidy tan building across the road, with the giant KN painted on the side. Cuban Nicholson got its start in 1926, 
silkscreening movie posters from a print shop on Milwaukee's South 1st Street. In time, it branched out to signs for butchers, grocers, and department stores, before focusing on tobacco ads printed in Milwaukee and pasted on billboards across the entire Midwest. Kubin Nicholson was the printers of the humongous. Its current press, as big as a school bus, sat within a cavernous hall. Its installation had taken a team of German engineers four months, flying home every other weekend to see their families. It was a rare beast, with fewer than 20 like it across the United States, and on that morning, a frustratingly silent one. The black ink was on the fritz. A call had been placed to the tech support people in Europe, who were able to log into the machine remotely to try to diagnose the problem. I watched from inside a glass-walled customer lounge as the pressman peered into its innards, a cordless phone wedged in the crook of his neck, a long screwdriver in his hand. Now, you know, <laughs> I said I was going to only play two minutes. I was in there, man. <laughs> that guy's pretty good. This is definitely going to be a read. I the mean, whole uh, book is like that. Wow. Yeah. Very, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I literally, uh, folks, for the folks at home, I literally typed in the chat room. I said, you know what, I'll, I'll play two minutes and... I'll find a stop point. I, I was like sitting there. I could have sat here for 10, 20 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's very engaging because it's, it's that sort of Midwest stream of conscious type of, uh, of story. And it pulls you in. And I remember the first time I listened to it, I, I, I listened for five minutes. I'm like, wait a minute. This thing is called Tubes, A Journey to the Center of the Internet. Is he ever going to talk about the Internet? Right. <laughs> uh, and, but, it, you know, it's, it's that whole through the eyes of someone who is not a technorati. Uh, and, and then it just became fascinating. That's great. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I'm assuming that this facility at some point, uh, you know, he eventually gets to the point where this is an internet type thing. <laughs> right. He finds out, he finds out the internet lives there. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. And, 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 and there's a lot of moments like that. It's like, Oh, Oh, that's right. You know, this thing that we, we take for granted is everywhere. It actually, it has a physical presence. You can go someplace and find the thing that creates the internet where you are. Uh, and, and that's that moment of discovery. Tubes, A Journey to the Center of the Internet by Andrew Bloom. Interesting, B-L-U-M. One thing, I have to, one thing I have to put in, I couldn't let it, I couldn't let it go. The, the book I referenced earlier about the laying of the original transatlantic cable is called A Thread Across the Ocean by John Steele Gordon. Nice. Very nice, my friend. It is interesting. I mean, this is um, probably, I would assume, the largest thing we've ever built, the Internet. I mean, if you were to light up things we've built on a globe of the Earth, when you get to the Internet, that's where the globe shines more bright. Uh, This is really the largest machine humankind has ever built. Although it's not visible from space, although it's buried underground, you know, but it, it reaches wirelessly laptops, phone, like how many, uh, ju- just iPhones, there's like 200 million of them. Never mind the 500 oh, yeah. million Android devices and, you know, telephones for Christ's sake. I mean, all our phones here at Sterling Postprint uh, here at the studio are, they're, vo- they're VoIP now. Well, so- I mean, imagine this. We sell close to 100 million tablets a year. We sell about 355 million PCs a year. We sell 655 million smartphones a year. So just take that over time and you realize how many devices there are out there. Right. And it's like the, the, the book uh, I was talking about last week. Um, 
in just one second, in one second, uh, I forget the name. My memory's terrible. But where the uh, the whole power grid goes down. One second later. One second later. One second Thank later. you, Padre. Uh, you know, look at that. I mean, even if we revert to, you know, having to use uh, ancient, you know, legacy technology, if I have to know how to do something, what do you do nowadays? You go to the internet. You know, you look at, you find a YouTube video. How do I do this? You learn how to do it and you do it. And without the internet, that's not possible. I mean, the whole, uh, there's no more bar uh, arguments, you know, where people sit in a bar and they'll say, uh, you know, so-and-so is the best pitcher of all time. Well, no, 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 so-and-so was. Because there's always that third person that just whips out their Blackberry and says, no, you're right, he's wrong, next discussion. You know, where this could have gone, like guys would have to walk to the library and dig out a you know book on baseball. It doesn't happen anymore. The internet just does everything for us, really. It's scary. It's almost to the point where, you know, it's going to unlock your front door, you know, let you you have access to your car. And without it, we're we're more and more becoming a pampered society. And uh, the Internet plays a big part of that. I hate to tell you this, Paul, but uh, we've already done that. That was CES last year. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I still use one of these uh, metal things called a key to open my door. (laughs) You've got your plan to print out Wikipedia before uh, the Mayan calendar? That's right. <laughs> hey, you'd be the most popular guy in the block. I'll tell you. There'd <laughs> be <laughs> the one guy saying, I have 680 pounds of peaches and I need to can them. And I have no idea how to do it. You'd be like, oh, yeah? <laughs> now, hold on there. Hold on. Actually, do you remember um, last April Fool's? Uh, yes. Google always runs a couple of yes. April Fool jokes, <laughs> and one of them was a new uh, Google product. You, they, they'll actually deliver YouTube to you, <laughs> and they they send it to you on DVDs. It's like, oh, and your your initial subscription comes with five thousand DVDs. We'll be sending you three boxes every day for the next twelve years. <laughs> and, and you know, it's it's amazing, but they actually used real numbers. That's how much video goes up on YouTube every day. Uh, I remember they said if if you could watch a hundred videos simultaneously on YouTube and you did that 24 hours a day did that the rest of your life you would still not be able to see everything that's added onto YouTube from the time you start oh it's it's something like days a second now or days a minute that go up there it's ridiculous you know you know most so, of it is is, is crud but <laughs> And comparing and, internet to uh, legacy media, I mean, uh, I had a few off days this week. I, I fell ill. And uh, Netflix, the same Canada, Netflix um, quantity is sparing as far as quality content. So I ended up watching some America's Funniest Home Videos or AFV or whatever they call it now. And we're talking like back episodes. And I'm watching it thinking, nah, there's so much me- much better crotch shots in uh, YouTube. YouTube. It's all people kicking each other in the nuts. <laughs> so back in the uh, back in the uh, little house on the prairie days, where did Michael Landon go for funny cat videos? I, I don't understand. No kidding. Well, you you, just, you have to buy a funny cat. They watched the <laughs> fireplace. That's what they did. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> now we have digital fireplaces online. I'm sure if you YouTube, if you search on YouTube, you'll find fireplace video. No, no, there is. <laughs> uh, last last year, I celebrated Christmas with my family in um, in Hawaii. And, of course, you know, it was 80 degrees on Christmas Day. But, we, you know, and we, we couldn't have a fire, but we missed the fire. So I looked up on YouTube. There is a <laughs> There's five tons hour of them. <laughs> video of a fire. Someone actually takes yes. a Christmas fire. 
and it just goes on. And it was great. We put it up on the big screen, and it, it kind of added something to the room. But there's a three-hour we one with two hundred and sixty-four thousand views in 1080p yeah. HD. <laughs> Here we go, folks. I wonder well, if it has audio. Be high def, for sure. Oh, absolutely. It's high oh, def. It's, oh, yes, it's got audio. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the best part is every once in a while someone comes over and throws another log on and like starts poking it. Yes. So it's, it's an interactive fire. This is brilliant. I love it. I'm favoring this. This is great. <laughs> and does that have more views than the average book guy episode has downloads? I'm just asking. It, it does. I mean, uh, maybe we have to add burning logs. <laughs> That's the only conclusion I can draw. Guys, we got to make a new a holiday video fireplace where we actually like uh, don't burn logs. Like throw in like burn burn. books. Burn books. Books and action figures and iPhones. <laughs> a couple explosions comics. here and there. Not my comics. And, and I will let Paul feel all the angry uh, emails. <laughs> That's right. Nothing like a YouTube comment. Oh. Yes, my friend. Yes, my friend. And our good friend, Professor Allen, because you were holding it up before the show. Just because. Comic books, comic books, comic books. So tell us about those graphic novels. They look awesome, and I want to buy them now. You guys cost me money every week. <laughs> I, ha- I have not even started it yet. But I've got the Ender's Game, 10 issues of Ender's Game, 10 issues of Ender's Shadow awaiting me. Are these recent releases? Nice or are Thanksgiving these, uh, reading. Are these back issues or, or recent releases uh, tying in? Yeah, this in? is uh, actually Marvel. Uh, Marvel put these out. Um, I want to say maybe in the last six, seven, eight years. I mean, it's been a while. It, I mean, they, they do it as an ongoing, you know, as an ongoing, but they, they break it up into, they did you know, 10 issues of Ender's Game, 10 issues of Ender's Shadow. They're working their way through the Formic Wars, and I'm not sure that if they've gone past Orson Scott Card yet and are doing original material. Obviously, as we've talked about, there are enough novels there's enough material in the official Ender's verse that they could just keep adapting, adapting, and adapting and not have to worry well, about it. Well, Professor Allen, with, with the new content. movie coming out, I'm sure Marvel Disney will uh, I, be releasing I a whole bunch of stuff. I imagine that is why the, this 10-issue uh, Ender's Game Ultimate Collection came out. I'm sure that is <laughs> Disney not related. A <laughs> not a coincidence. They know how to market, that's for sure. So, Mr. McKenzie, Mr. Allen, Padre... Because we can, we may as well move on to the part of the show where we talk about book news. <sighs> Slumdog Millionaire writer is adapting Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. They're calling it the Catch-22 of the Iraq War. Uh, his book centers on a group of U.S. servicemen who emerged unscathed from a firefight in Iraq in 2005 and are brought home by the Bush administration for a victory lap, culminating with a turn at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium as part of the team's Thanksgiving halftime show. (laughs) It's been described by the Observer's Robert McCrum as a clever and imaginative take on the classic American combat novel. Now, picture that's awesome, because they're going to go through the combat sequence, right, and then they're going to follow these guys as they get dragged back to the United States for, you know, mission accomplished and having to go through this Dallas stadium. While, of course, we all know now the war continue, continues on for another seven years. So these poor bastards have to, you know, go through the Dallas Cowboys stadium cheering and, you know, rah, rah, rah. But uh, it could be interesting. I mean, uh, I can't say anything bad about Slumdog Millionaire. Great movie. Great screenplay. 
That's one of those movies where I sat the whole time thinking, you know, this is Bollywood. Where's the dancing? Where's the dancing? Come on, the dancing. Where's the dancing? I don't want to spoil it, but the dancing came <laughs> eventually. <laughs> well, there's a secret here, and that is you can always add the dancing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there's a, a, also in the book news here. Uh, oops, ABC, a local channel on Denver, ABC affiliate is under fire now. <laughs> I guess one of their unpaid interns had to look up the book All In by Paula Broadwell, the, the famous book now <laughs> involved in this whole uh, this Petraeus point. situation. And uh, he accidentally found a parody cover and had, they put that up on the air. Oh, no. <laughs> let's, just, trying to keep the book, uh, the book guy's show clean as always. Let's just say that the, the cover says, All Up In My Hoo-Hoo. <laughs> well done very well done all up in my hoo-hoo uh, Helen Fielding very famous author of course the whole Bridget Jones series for all you ladies we gotta do some news for the ladies uh, she can't sh- she can't leave well enough alone <laughs> Bridget Jones is coming back for a third in the sequence of novels and uh, of course she's no longer doing a uh, diary she is she opens each chapter now not with diary sections with uh tweets <laughs> so it's all going to start off with t- tweets like it's more like uh number of twitter followers zero still no followers still no followers bridget <laughs> you know so this could be interesting of course there'll be a book deal and movie deal to go with that as well so do we have to sit through another movie now too <laughs> yeah you probably will have to and uh, keeping on the same theme there for the ladies, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey has been nominated for a National Book Award. So going up against Kate Moss's uh, Citadel for popular fiction book. To be fair, uh, E.L. James deserves it with four million copies, almost sing- single-handedly helping drag the book business out of the doldrums. Uh, looking like Fifty Shades of Grey going to get some awards, at least for quantity anyways. I haven't read the book, so I can't. Speak on its quality. We should get the Padre to review it. <laughs> uh, listen, I already did the Diamond Club with uh, the NSFW crew. I, I think I'm I'm done with Fifty Shades and and all parodies. Hey, Diamond Club has to be close to a million uh, downloads by this point. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know which ones are Diamond Club members and which ones are actual customers because all the diamond club members have glowing reviews and five stars and then the actual customers are i'm confused what was this book about <laughs> you know i gotta read it just for the hell of it i really do uh, you know i, I think I'm, if you read it it takes away some of the mystery <laughs> i'm gonna put it on my to buy list anyways just to help the cause uh, oh, i'm sorry yeah, you're not uh, gonna take one for the team paul and that's right <laughs> Now, Scott, have you heard about the the Diamond Club? No, I haven't, no. Okay, so uh, the network I'm on, uh, the Twit Network, has a show called NSFW, run by uh, Justin Robert Young and uh, Brian Brushwood. And they wanted to repeat the Along Came a Stranger scam of the the 70s, where you had a bunch of journalists who were tired of Pulp Fiction. So they decided to write the worst book they could. They took turns creating basically just torrid toward stories they're, they're all well written just a horrible horrible story and it oh it yes, became, yes it became a bestseller yeah yeah bestseller. so they repeated it <laughs> they they uh 
they crowdsourced it. They said they came up with a, an author, Patricia Harkins Bradley. They <laughs> love led the chat name. realm. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they let them go out and they created a history for it. They created a, a, a Facebook page, a Twitter site. They created a background so she actually had a story. And then they did open uh, um, invitation for anyone to submit a chapter. Neither Brian nor Justin actually read any of the chapters. <laughs> the, uh, the, the internet did all the corrections to make sure the grammar wasn't too bad. Then they published it on Amazon and on iTunes, and they asked all of the members of the Twit audience to buy the 99-cent book on the same day at the same time, which gamed the system and shot it up the iTunes and the Amazon chart. I believe at the top they were just behind one of the Fifty Shades of Grey books. So they proved the power of uh, basically gaming the system. Nice. I believe Brian is doing also very well on his Indiegogo uh, effort here. He did amazing. He uh, Brian wanted to take a few months off because of the uh, the uh, birth of his uh, of a new child of his new daughter, and um, he figured it would take about ten thousand dollars for him to be able to to be off the road for three months. He put up an Indiegogo page and uh, he basically sold his act in advance. An update here, Padre. With seven hours left. Uh, of his ten thousand dollar goal, he is now at thirty one thousand four hundred and twenty five dollars. Yeah. The other day, he came up to me. He goes, "I'm going to send him a fiver right I, now." I should have been doing this years ago. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I will. I will tell you that as a finance professor, I have actually started to work in crowdsourcing as a legitimate. Go. It's a legitimate topic to cover in a finance class. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate option. And gentlemen, moving on to the word of the year 2012, according to the Oxford American Dictionaries. Believe it or not, in its 25th year, it is GIF. G-I-F. Uh, oh, but how do you pronounce that, Paul? Apparently it's GIF. According to the Are creators sure? of the GIF, it oh, is correctly know? pronounced GIF. Of course, because I'm... it stands for Graphics Interchange Format. Why would it be pronounced GIF? They're playing a joke on us. A lot of people still call it a GIF. I always call it a GIF. Just makes sense. Not a GIF. That's what I always call it. And a new book coming soon, memoir for um, John Fogarty, uh, coming out later this year or in early 2014. Uh, John Fogarty, of course, had a famous battle with uh, publishers and uh, record companies. Uh, there was a, a quite a time in his life where he literally couldn't record music or you know, play his own music, and it made him very sad, we'll say. And he went through a lot of legal troubles trying to, you know, get the rights to his own songs back. And just, he, it just, you know, it demoralized him to the point where he just didn't want to do music anymore because he knew whatever he would you know, write or play, uh, he'd be under contract to his previous uh, record company. And uh, it could be an interesting uh, memoir. And, uh, of course, one of his songs... Uh, <laughs> what was the song? It was a proud Mary? <laughs> There's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> Bad Moon Rising. <laughs> a lot of people thought he was singing. There's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> it's There's a Bad Moon on the Rise, my friends. Just saying. And that's it for book news for another week. I want to thank everybody for joining us this week. We're keeping it under an hour and a half this week. Thank you, Scott McKenzie. Very much. Father Robert, you got a party to go upstairs? 
Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you, Professor Allen. And Sir Jimmy will join us again next week. He's on the beach getting a prize. I don't know if he's cornholing again or... Hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> but we will see if you, you took folks. took our advice, he's listening to um, Daniel Suarez right now. <laughs> he might be on the beach while getting a prize. See you next week, folks. Same book time, same book channel. Take it away, Scott Brick. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel.